Hello, and welcome to the Complete Mathematics Podcast, Teaching Together. I'm Dave Taylor, and today we're joined by my Complete Maths colleague, Johnny Hall. Hello. What are we looking at today, Johnny? Today, we're looking at order of operations. This objective is from Stage 6, Unit 5 of the Complete Mathematics Curriculum. The whole curriculum, from early counting to calculus, is accessible at completemaths.com for free. You can follow along with today's pod at home by heading to completemaths.com forward slash podcast to download the slide deck of tasks from today's episode. And once you've got this loaded up, let's get into teach, do, practice, behave with the order of operations. Before we teach pupils a new idea, we must be sure that we're doing the right maths. Because if we're not, we run the risk of developing the idea that maths isn't for everyone. And we know that everyone can learn maths well. We can check that we're doing the right maths by considering prerequisites. Johnny, can you talk to us about prerequisites for the order of operations and how you go about testing them? Yeah, uh, so on slide three, I've got three kind of prompts that I'll, that I'll use with my class. The first one in the top left is simply the calculation seven minus three plus four. And I use this as sort of like, testing the water sort of question. So seven minus three plus four, um, a lot of pupils that I teach, personally, it's normally a 50-50 split. And like a lot of kids will do the three plus four first because at some point they've picked up along the lines that you have to do addition before subtraction. And it's never been the case yet where the whole class has just said, oh yeah, you can just do seven minus three plus four and get an answer of eight. There's always been roughly a 50-50 split between the correct answer and the answer where you do the addition first. So um, I like that as a, as a test in the water. It gives me sort of a validation for, yeah, the next sort of sequence of work that I'm about to teach has use because there's a lot of misconceptions floating around there. Then moving on to the top right image. So we've got, um, basically, we've got six times 28 divided by five times 20 divided by seven. And... I like to show this people because a lot of people think, oh, this is just far too hard to do mentally. So how am I going to do six times 28? And then how am I going to divide that by five? And then at the end, you've got that divide by seven as well. So, um, and, I'm, and I'm testing at this point that pupils know that uh, whenever they see the division sign, they can always replace it with multiplication of the reciprocal. So they can just rewrite the divide by five as multiply by a fifth. With the idea being that I want pupils to know that you can always write it as just a product. And then uh, multiplication is commutative, so you can do it any, in any order that you want. So then I ask them to look for like friendly pairs. So the 28 and the seventh all of a sudden doesn't look as scary. And the, the 20 and the one fifth doesn't look as scary as well. And get them, to, get them to realize that, yeah, basically the division sign can always be replaced with multiplication. And then a similar, a similar thing with the subtraction and the addition there on the bottom as well. Lots of pupils. So we've got four minus three plus nine minus two plus eight. And lots of pupils might either just do that from left to right, or if they've got that misconception that you have to do addition first, they might do that as well. But I want them to realise that whenever they see that subtraction sign, that can always be replaced as well by addition of the additive inverse. And I've got a little model there to show um, with, with the two colour counters, which I hope they're familiar with by, by this stage as well. Yeah, that's great. I, I, you said a 50-50 split for 7 minus 3 plus 4, but I'm, I'm going to say it's more like 80-20 getting it wrong in the way of getting it wrong yeah there's there's a lot of people oh. who who come to my classroom with that misconception and it's quite hard to unpick um it takes multiple times of correcting this before they accept that uh, addition is 
the the phrasing that I use is that addition and subtraction are equal in terms in terms of strength or power. Mm. Now, after these prerequisites, which we'll call them uh, misconceptions, we're just checking that pupils don't hold these misconceptions. Um, slide four is before four's challenge. Uh, this is a classic, Johnny. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't think there's many teachers that haven't heard of this. There's various different variations of it. Well, sometimes people use the, the numbers in the, in the current year, for example. Well, the, the idea is you get your testing pupils here that they can actually calculate um, so if they're trying to make, I don't know, say eight, they might say things like, well, you do a four and a four first to get an eight. Then I'm going to times by four and divide by four. And that'll cancel each other out. So that'll give me the answer of eight. So I can make eight. So you're testing here that they can they can do operations. And then later on in the unit, we're going to put the flesh on the bones and OK, let's let's put some order to these operations. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally there with that. So now that we've checked prerequisites and we know that pupils are ready to learn this new idea, we're ready to teach. In the teach phase, the new idea is just beyond the current level of understanding and should be entirely novel. The teacher shares key facts and uses metaphor and model to explain and describe so that pupils can meaning make and form connections with their current schema. So, Johnny, how are you going to go about teaching the art of operations? Um, well, I quite like... Um... The on slide, or I'll jump, jump to slide six here. So I've got that, we've got that pyramid of operations. Now, I'm not a massive fan of always using these visuals, but I, I think this pyramid has merit over the the other. I mean, we've not said the word bid mass yet, but we're going to have to. The other bid that, mass. That's pyramid. a dirty word, Johnny. Don't do it. Yeah, but, but in this pyramid, you can you, you see you've got the brackets at the top, then you've got your, your, your roots and your powers, and then the division and the multiplication are on the same level, and then the addition and subtraction are on the the same power level, if you like. So I think that's probably a useful image uh, rather than the, the acronym BIDMAS. And at some point you have to say that, look, yeah, when you see this calculation, multiplications do come before additions. And my justification for that is that it must multiplications are more powerful operation. If you've got three times four, uh, that is just kind of like repeated addition, three plus three plus three plus three. So it makes sense that the more powerful operations get get done first and then the same when you go up to to indices indices is like kind of repeated multiplication if you like so it makes sense that you do the indices before you do any multiplications yeah so in, in terms of when pupils have bid mass as a, an acronym that they like to use i like to um go a bit into this because they, they now know that subtraction doesn't exist it's addition of negative numbers uh so so therefore it, it should just be bid ma and then we explain that, well, multiplication is just repeated addition. So then that's just bid R. And then division, if we consider the chunking method for division, that's just repeated subtraction, which is repeated addition of negative numbers. So we're at BR. And then your indices, that's just repeated multiplication, which is repeated, repeated addition. So all of a sudden we're at bar. None of it makes any sense to anybody. Um, and so there's just no point in having an acronym because. It, it just it just confuses people. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I tend to narrow it down to just look. Multiplications comes before additions, and everything else is just falls into place because of that. If if like you say, indices are just repeated multiplications, then it's obvious you have to do those those first. And then yeah. you've just got brackets sitting at the top of the tree, and the, and the brackets gives the calculation structure. If, if you need to change the order of operation, you need to stick the brackets in. 
So in terms of, um, you've mentioned that the division and multiplication are on the same level and addition and subtraction are on the same level. I like to show this using the model on slide five, which is just a number line. Um, and I choose 20 as a starting point, And then we do the four operations with the number two. And we can see that addition and subtraction of the number two are the same strength. They have the same difference. Now, it's mm -hmm. it's more difficult to get pupils to understand that multiplication and division are inverses and have the same strength because they don't have the same size arc from 20 to 40 and 20 to 10. But if we understand that they're inverses, pupils will be able to make, make meaning with that. Mm. Yeah, I like that. I've never seen that before. So transitioning out of the teach phase, we're going to look for pupils to do, and that's coming up next. Now that we've talked about the teach phase, let's talk about do. In the do phase, pupils are simply replicating what they've been shown in the teach phase. In most cases, this is likely to be a procedure which leads to a solution. It's important to mention that at this stage of the learning episode that pupils are simply replicating and meaningful learning hasn't yet occurred. The do phase complements the teach phase by allowing pupils to develop confidence and fluency in working with the new procedure. So the teacher is responsive to pupils, maintaining motivation, and amends their model or example to make stronger connections with pupils' existing schemas. Johnny, this seems like one mm. of the perfect learning episodes to check for understanding using exam problem pairs. So how mm -hmm. might that look? Well, have you ever heard of um, a mini whiteboard, Dave? No, tell me about them. Well, they're like small whiteboards that you can get kids to write the answer on and then show you their answer. And I think okay. this is a great, a great opportunity to, to, to use those we've just said about multiplication coming for addition um, giving questions and, and checking for understanding like that my biggest annoyance with when people say use mini whiteboards is they never really give people much detail into how that routine looks can you just give us a bit of detail on how that looks in your classroom well sure well like at the school that i work at we have a we have a, a script that every teacher not just in maths but across all departments use which is the one two three show me model which is designed to stop pupils showing you the answer as soon as possible and also showing the rest of the classes as soon as possible. So if you put three plus two times six on the board and you're checking that the kids know to do the two times six first, you give them 30 seconds or whatever you think is appropriate to answer it. Then it's one, two, three, show me all at the same time. And then keep your stony face at this point. Don't give, don't give the game away. Don't smile at a kid and say, oh, you're right, because then every kid's going to look at theirs change their answer and scribble it. You ask questions like, okay, so why do you think the answer's the answer that? Bounce it round a bit. And uh, you, you'll see pupils maybe um, suddenly come into realisations of what, they, what they've done is wrong, given explanations from other pupils. And the idea is that you want to you assess the whole class as quickly as possible. And that's where the whiteboards just are un, unrivaled pretty much in their, in their AFL powers. Yeah, I've always found that, if you think about it, trying to take in 30 bits of information in 30, what is essentially different fonts, it, it, you know, right in front of you at the same time is quite challenging. But I, I always now argue that it's actually quite easy because you're not looking for the correct answer. You're looking for wrong answers and they're yeah. noticeable because they stand out as wrong answers. Yeah, look for the wrong answers and get them to write as big as possible on the whiteboards. My eyes are rubbish at the best of times. Uh, so I have a rule that you always try and fill the whiteboard with your answer. 
especially those kids at the bot at, at the back, right, writing a tiny little number six. And like, what what does that even say? <laughs> Fill your whiteboard with your answer. Make it as easy as possible for us. Right, and then for me, once we've gone through exam problem pairs, um, I want pupils to develop fluency individually. So normally this is something increasingly difficult or minimally different, and then normally my go-tos. And on slide seven, you can see an example of minimally different questions, uh, which starts with three plus two times six, and then three times two plus six. And you can see the operations varying. Then I've added the position of the numbers and this is to to try and get people to understand that this order is important and not how the numbers are ordered. Yeah, I quite like that task. That's the sort of task that I'd probably take and um, maybe give the, the kids a bit of ownership over it. Maybe give them yours to begin with, then say, right, okay, your turn then is pick three numbers of your own and you're allowed an addition and a multiplication, say, or, or whatever two operations you want and how many different calculations can you make. That might be a nice task later down the line for practising potentially, but those sort of minimally different tasks are, are my cup of tea. Give them some constraints and then see see what see what questions they can make with them. So having worked through the teach and do phases, pupils have developed fluency with the idea, and now we're going to segue into the practice phase. In the practice phase, pupils move beyond simply performing and begin to develop more flexible knowledge of the idea. Unfortunately, it's quite common that a maths lesson doesn't get this far, never mind as far as a behaviour phase. Pupils tend to perform with a new idea, but don't form connections between the novel idea and their existing schema, negatively affecting their retention. Through teach and do, pupils are now fluent with the procedure, so we're now directing their attention to underlying structures, relationships and principles, bringing about strong connections with prior knowledge. We're looking for a well-structured and intelligently designed task that will aid pupils in forming links with their existing schema. So what might you be giving pupils here, Johnny? Okay, so um, we must be about 10 minutes into this episode now, so I feel as though now is the, is the right time to introduce the first sort of Don, Don resource. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen... Don Stewart. Now, ironically, he has he has this tab called Bidmas on on it on his on his site, and it's got all the order operation stuff. And there's an absolute wealth of stuff to choose from there. I've just picked out three which I use virtually every time I teach this topic. So the first one on on slide eight is a uh, you have the numbers and you have the answer, and you have to fill the boxes with the operations to make that particular answer. Uh, so there you're testing the, whether you can put the operations in. And then on slide nine, we're kind of reversing that process a little bit where you've got given a calculation which may or may not be correct. Uh, and But if it's not correct, you need to insert brackets to make them correct. So that's moving away from the operations to actually, okay, here are the operations in place already. You can make it correct by inserting the brackets. Or some of them are sneaky where they're already actually correct and they don't even need brackets at all. And then the last one which I've chosen um, is slide 10 where, again, it's it's kind of like the, the previous one where you've got the calculation and this time you have to insert brackets in different places to make the four different the four different answers. So it's kind of like how many different answers can you make by inserting brackets in different positions into this calculation? So just giving lots and lots of practice with order of operations and the importance of, of the brackets, insert them into calculations. Um, for me, that's something that maybe in the past I've previously not spent as much time on. I really like the transition from nine to ten. It's almost like where 
we're giving pupils a target in nine, putting the brackets in to get to a specific mm. number. And then yeah. in 10, we're asking them to put the brackets in to get many specific numbers. And they might just come across these by accident. And then the self-explanation kicks in and they have to explain to themselves why this works because of the order of operations. Yeah. And then the, the, basically you, you're one step away from just playing the countdown numbers game then, aren't you? By the time you got to the end of slide slide 10. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Which is something we've not mentioned. I mean, that is, is that, that is that's could also potentially go back way back at the start with the prerequisites. Like that's that's on a par, I'd say, with the four fours challenge, the countdown numbers game. And I don't yeah. I've never met a single pupil that doesn't love playing the countdown numbers game. I mean, it arcs back to um to their childhood with their with their granddad and their grandma, doesn't it? Sitting there exactly. watching countdown. Yep. Uh so on slide eleven, and and this is a this is a bit of a hat tip to you, Johnny, because I know that completion tables have have started to take over your life a little bit. Well, uh, by the time this goes out, I will have done the uh, the maths conf online on completion tables, which means that if you're a CPD college member, you'll be able to access that um, on the CPD college. Oh yeah, you will. Yeah. Um. So the completion table is it has four columns: uh, the calculation, the area problem, the worded problem, and the, the numerical value. And this is showing um. I guess the same problem in different representations. And we know that pupils being able to work in multiple representations is a good proxy for, for learning rather than just the, the doing and performing and, and getting answers to be able to explain something in multiple modalities is a better proxy for understanding that pupils have learned something. Certainly. And like looking at this completion table, like if a pupil and I'm assuming this is towards like the end of the practice phase when they're getting pretty good at this, because if a pupil can complete that completion table accurately, you can be pretty certain that they've got a decent grasp of, of order of operations. If they can generate their own area problems from the calculations or even their own worded problems to summarise what's going in an area problem, like you've got to have a real deep understanding of order operations beyond just multiplication comes before addition. Yeah, absolutely. So after pupils have begun to develop that deeper understanding, assimilating the idea into their schema, we're going to look at them behaving mathematically. In order to develop mathematicians, this phase is the most important of all. We deepen understanding through behaving mathematically, and when behaving mathematically, maturation matters. Tests are chosen from well-embedded and mature ideas that connect to the novel idea. A good rule of thumb is that this kind of maturation takes two years, so we're looking for pupils to work with the related idea from two stages previous. Now for the order of operations, I've put um, an open middle task on slide 12. This is a, a fairly straightforward task. It is a um, an empty block, added to another empty block, multiplied by another empty block, and then we add another empty block. And pupils can use the numbers one to nine at most one time each to make a calculation that is as large as possible. Now, I'm I'm expecting pupils here to understand that this needs to be as large as possible to put eight times nine in the multiplication. I mean, to understand this, you need to understand that multiplication comes before addition. Mm -hmm. Now, Johnny, what have you got for us? Oh, so I've gone... Um... Quite far, quite quite a bit further down the line, I'm making some links with algebra here and, and generalization, which we should always be striving to do in our lessons. So the idea is is based on a Don Stewart task, but the idea is you choose three consecutive integers. So take three, four, five, 
and you do three plus four times five. So the, the structure is integer one plus integer two multiplied by integer three. And using your um, the knowledge of order of operations, and this is why it needs to come much further, this one, okay, because order of operations needs to be secure because you want to be um you want to be asking the pupils, okay, if if you didn't know the order of operations and you just did it left to right, what answer would you get? So three plus four times five. Well, you do the three and the four, seven times five and get 35. Mm -hmm. uh, but now we know order of operations. We've been doing it for a good couple of years. We know to do the four times five first and get 20 and then add, add the three. So we get these two answers of 35 compared to the correct answer of, of 23. And what's the difference between them? Now, there is a generalization that you can make here, no matter what three numbers you choose, uh, the difference between the, the wrong answer and the, and the correct answer is always the product of the first two numbers. And I've tried to show that with the, uh, the Q's and air rods image on the, uh, on, on the slide 13 we're up to now. So if you do it the wrong way, the three plus four times five, you can see you end up with that rectangle seven by, uh, seven by five. So there's your 35. If you do it the correct way, you have the four by five rectangle and just the, the three on its own there. And that space that you're missing is the difference between the two answers. And to fill that space exactly, well, you'd need the first integer multiplied by the, the second integer. So in this case, three times four to give you 12. And then you could go about proving the whole thing using algebra if you wanted with, say, n, n plus one, n plus two, to show that the, the difference between the incorrect and the correct uh, calculation is always just the, the product of the first two integers. I've got to say, Johnny, that is absolutely beautiful. The image, yeah, Q's and Aerods never fail to blow my mind, but that image, you can just see that empty area, and that empty area has to be the, the product of the first two integers. It's um, The algebra, when you do it, gets, well, not, not messy, but it's it's probably something that a, a top set year 11 maybe might, might want to do, but um, the, the, the Q's and Aero image can be done with any, any pupil of any age, really. It's quite obvious. Well, that's it for this episode of Teaching Together. Remember that you can check out the entire curriculum, that's over 1,800 objectives, for free at completemaths.com. We hope that you've taken a lot from this episode, and if you have any questions, comments, or thoughts, please don't hesitate to get in touch on Twitter. My handle is at TaylorDA01. And mine's at StudyMaths. Or you can get in touch with the Complete Maths team on at Ed. Or via email, I'm Dave at completemaths.com. Or Johnny at completemaths.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to leave a review on your chosen podcast provider and feel free to pass the pod to both colleagues and friends so that we can all improve our teaching together. Until next time, take care. Bye.